the Mixed Picks podcast uh, for uh, Wednesday, December 13th. Next week, we are off for the uh, the holidays, but we will be here on Wednesday, December 27th and Wednesday, January 3rd as well. Good morning, Steve Mickelson. Good morning. Uh, from uh, MixPicks.com, uh, uh, 2Ks and Mix, 2Ks and Picks. We're going to start right away uh, with an email we got this morning from Stephen for uh, for what is what everybody is, is kind of talking about and waiting around for uh, in in the, the world of sports. Rob and Steve, do you think that the NBA missed the mark with Draymond Green's last suspension? What should now be done with his last outburst of violence on the court, in your opinion? This was last night, Draymond Green was ejected from Tuesday night's loss to the Phoenix Suns in his third uh, ejection of the season, and he awaits a league review for the possibility of yet another suspension. His three ejections are tied for most in the season uh, already, and the NBA has already suspended Green. This is what uh, Stephen was alluding to for five games after the last incident. And I I heard on the last incident, Steve, guys uh, were saying as many as eight or ten games is what he should have gotten. They've got to go more like that this time, don't they? You would have to believe I mean, sitting and watching the Warriors, I've just grown so tired of the Draymond Green Act. You know, I was kind of hoping they would go on, move on from him after the season last year, uh, but he's still with the team. It's just getting old. You got to believe if five games last time, I'd go at least 10 games this time. To, to me, I think you got to go 15 would be more of my thought. Just, just because, look, at a certain point, you got to – get a clue that this is an acceptable behavior. Uh, I mean, his spin around yesterday and kind of like the punch to the head, you know, that that's just, there's no excuse for it. It's getting old and uh, he's a repeat offender and you got to send a message somewhere. I mean, 15 games is like 20% of the season. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the, the argument for Draymond Green, for those who want to make it is he's the enforcer. He, he's, he's the, he's the, he's the same thing as in hockey, but, but, I don't see. I hear a lot of people making that argument. I think that enforcer in the NBA has kind of gone away with the rule changes. We're not playing in the late '80s, early '90s again. When you had the Rick Mahorns of the league, who look, if you're going to come into the key, you're going to get hammered. That's not the way the NBA's played anymore. We see it with the totals. I mean, you know, you look at the NBA games now, and the total seems to start at 228 and go up from there when you're putting these totals up it's no longer about the defense, the enforcer and and hockey's moving away from that as well. Yes. You still somewhat need an enforcer, but that's just not how the game's played today. And Draymond Green, it's just getting old. So you'd like to see 15 games. Do you think Adam Silver, the commissioner, will he, will he step up and go, all right, I'm going big this time. Or do you think he'll continue to piece? What's your gut? Because I I feel like he's not going to go big enough still. I don't think he's going to go big enough. I, I think we'll look at another five to eight game suspension. Mm-hmm. Hey, Draymond, stop this. You know, it shouldn't be happening anymore. You know, it's like when you're they, raising a kid and it's like, you know, I'm going to count to three, one, two, two and a half, two and five eights. Yeah, a- absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, even Warrior fans that I talk to, they've grown tired of this as well. You know, the Warriors are struggling. They can't overcome these type of things anymore. They make too many turnovers on the court. They foul too often. And Draymond Green has become a huge distraction since the start of last year. So it's just, it's a lot to overcome. They're no longer that elite team in the NBA. And uh, it's it hurts the team. So here's something else that a lot of people are talking about in the sports world. And, and when, when I was thinking about this week's show, I didn't think it would be true on, on, on Wednesday, but there's been such an added interest in Shohei Otani's deal. I mean, he, he signed the, the biggest deal in baseball history. Dodgers inked him for 10 years. 
$700 million. Before, and, and just real quick before we get to what everybody's actually talking about now, I know, Steve, you, you were blown away by that. You didn't even think Otani was going to get $500 million, uh, but the, the Dodgers rolled out the seven hundred. Yeah, the the big thing I'd love to see is what did Boris's agent actually ask for? Because, it, you know, there's negotiations back and forth. If the Dodgers immediately came out and said, hey, look, we're going to offer you 10 years, 700 million. You'd think, let me talk to my agent and we would sign that immediately. So the fact that this negotiations went on for a while, did, did the oh, Tani start at like 800 million? I, I mean, I. I would love to hear what he actually asked for if it took this long to then settle at 700 million. I didn't think he was going to really get over 300 million. I thought it was going to be a short contract, you know, something like five year, 300 million. We're going to give you 60 million a year because I need you to prove to me you are healthy enough to pitch and do the dual threat that you are pitching and hitting. But 10 years, he's, not going to be able to pitch next year. He's solely a DH. We've watched these huge contracts like Albert Pujols who have signed the 10 year deals. And then after, you know, the first five or six years, the last four years, you know, are an albatross to the team because you can't get rid of him. He's not producing at that level. And so the 700 million stunned me, but you know, kudos to him and his agent. Well, and you know what else really kind of stunned me? Uh, was that, that the Dodgers weren't the only ones, we've just found out, that were willing to pay this. Uh, the president of baseball operations of the San Francisco Giants has confirmed that may, they made three offers to Otani, including the final proposal that was comparable, if not identical, to the $700 million that the that Otani agreed to with the Dodgers. And uh, Farhan Zaidi, the, uh, the ba- president of baseball operations for the Giants, says his understanding is that's what the Blue Jays were offering too. So if, if, he's, not, if he's telling the truth, there were at least three teams they were all willing to give Otani $700 million. It just came down to Otani wanted to stay in Southern California, basically, according to uh, the San Francisco Giants. I mean, that's—I find that—when when the deal hit, and you and I were texting on Saturday, I was like, wow, the Dodgers, they just threw a bunch of money at him. They just—but no, apparently it was a—there were three teams at least willing to pay that. I think this really changes the landscaping of salaries in Major League Baseball. If you're willing to go to that extent, and, and we're going to get further into the details of this because <laughs> that that changes the landscape even more. But three teams, I really, when I read the story yesterday, I really feel sorry for the Giants. This is like three <laughs> players. and The Giants keep trying to buy these top-end free agents, and they keep getting turned away at the altar. They're into it to the final identical as the Dodgers, but no, I'm going to take the Dodgers. Aaron Judge, I heard, you know, I believe they offered him more than what the Yankees did. All the way, we got Aaron Judge. Nope, he's going to stay a Yankee. I just feel bad for the Giants because they obviously are showing they want to spend the money. They just, you know, can't get it over the line. I mean, it's not Shohei Otani, but the Giants did wrangle center fielder Young-Hoo Lee uh, from the Korean Baseball Organization, uh, he for $113 million on a six-year deal. He's a longtime star in the KBO. He has He's a left-handed hitter. He's batted over 300 in every season. He owns a lifetime batting average of 340. And the Giants saw him, or see him rather, as an all-star caliber player who's only 25. So they landed one at least. Uh, absolutely. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch him play. He's a contact hitter. Uh, I, From everything I've read, it's going to remind you a lot of Ichiro, you know, he's, he's going to have a weird step into his batting before he goes, gets it kind of like a, if you ever watch softball, more of the slap hitters from 
girls softball with that kind of moving in the box as you're going to swing. So it's going to be interesting to see. They believe he can be a very good center fielder for them. I believe he's got an opt-out after four years on his contract. So if it turns out that he is really good in an all-star, don't be surprised if he exercises that opt-out. Yeah. So while it is six years, it's six years if he's not very good. It's only four years if he turns out to be pretty good, which is one of the complaints I have with contracts today with these opt-outs everywhere. Hey, look, if I perform up to my my contract, then I'm going to opt out early so I can get more money. But if I absolutely stink, well – the team stuck with me for the duration of the contract. Is, is there anything that explains the, the the explosion of interest in Asian baseball players? I mean, you and I have lived through enough of these ebbs and flows. There was the Cuban focus, then the Dominican focus, uh, and now it seems like, I mean, we're still waiting to hear about who's going to sign Yamamoto. Uh, is, is there anything that explains it, Steve, or is it just we're paying more attention or, or what? I think we're paying more attention, and I actually like the fact that I believe it's kind of showing how the interest in baseball worldwide is growing, you know, to where the players now can play in the Japanese league. And we roll it back 30 years ago. It's like, ah, they really can't play at the major league level. I love the fact that I'm watching mm-hmm. players come out of the Korean league, out of the Japanese league, and be able to compete at the major league level. It means that baseball is becoming much more of a worldwide sport than we really believed. So I like to see it, and uh, I wish them all the success. And I, I, the thing I love about it, as much as I love the NFL, is they have to just be pounding their – this is the one thing the NFL can't do is get the worldwide interest in, in their sport. where they, have, they see baseball continuing to just expand and expand and expand, and, and basketball as well. And the NFL is trying to force this down Europe's net throat. And as you've reported, and we both know people on the inside, they don't want the NFL <laughs> – yeah, it it uh, more news today. I mean, they announced they're going to be playing a game in Brazil. That was just passed. Oh God! Uh, so they're going to expand on that. It's going to bring, I believe, it to eight or nine games overseas. I believe the goal is going to be one a week through the NFL season. They they want to bring one a week. If you go 16 weeks, it forces every team in the NFL to play one game in an international market somewhere. So you can't say, oh, I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars and I'm stuck and I have to play overseas every year. But say the Detroit Lions never get to, it would force everyone to have to do it. But we all know this is all about the money. This isn't about developing football everywhere. This is about the money for the NFL because now we can add a 6.30 Pacific time, 9.30 East Coast time game to the schedule, charge prime time, TV right rates, and everything else. Uh, and, and I don't know if you saw this, but I, I was reading this on the, the deal with the game in Brazil. So – it's going to be hosted by an NFC team. They will be the designated home team, but they believe it's going to be the Dolphins who play in that game against the NFC team because the Dolphins have the exclusive team rights in Brazil. So it sounds like the NFL has gone around and instead of letting the public pick who they're going to root for in these countries throughout the country, you know, throughout the world, well, if you're in Brazil, you get the Dodgers as your, I mean, the Dolphins as your team. How could the NFL sit down and designate, you know, teams to different countries? You know, who pulled the Raiders out, out of the world? Who pulled the Lions? Does, you know, so you get these Cardinals. Okay, you got the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, crap. You know, we <laughs> lost that lottery. So so does that mean, does Jacksonville already belong to to Great Britain then? 
for the most part, I would say yes. And there's been talk of Jacksonville actually wanting to, if they expand into, you know, Europe, that Jacksonville has voiced a, you know, a desire. If I've read this right, to move. Yeah, I've to, heard that. Yeah, you know, moved to London. I, 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 so if they did, if they did uh, uh, sixteen of these games, and to, back to your fairness argument. Opening week, nobody would play overseas, and then the last week, nobody would play overseas, and then every week in between, that's how you would get every team to play at least once outside of the Yes, America. exactly. Um, let's uh, let's circle all the way back though to to Shohei Otani because the thing you 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 were texting me when when this came out and, and wondering about how this all came about and worked. So apparently, it is it is confirmed that within the Major League Baseball collective bargaining agreement, this has always been an option. But no major player that we know of has ever really uh, exercised it. We have the the famous uh, what Bobby Bonilla, uh, not, no, not Bobby Bonilla. Who's, who's the guy that's still getting a million dollars a year from the Mets or whatever? Yeah, it is Bobby. Oh, Bonilla. it is okay. Um, yeah, like July first, he gets like one point two five million every year through I think like two thousand thirty five or forty five or something insane. And, and and that's been a running punchline, but that's nothing uh, like what Shohei Otani is doing. So he's got this seventy million dollars salary every year. But he's deferring $68 million of it. He's going to get $2 million a year from the Dodgers during the entire uh, uh, length of the contract. One of the reasons for this is, and, and Otani asked for this, and he, he already makes almost $50 million a year annually, or annually, duh, uh, through endorsements. And so by doing this, Otani also opens up annual uh, payroll for the Dodgers to kind of, this is his version of pulling Tom Brady, except Tom Brady actually gave up money. Otani said, just pay it to me later. And then starting in 2034, he's going to get $68 million a year for the next 10 years, uh, totaling like $680 million over the course of that time. And there, there's also some, uh, some tax benefits to him doing this as well, most people believe now you steve you the, the your initial reaction when we were texting was something like how is this even allowed but either way news getting out of this you think is going to completely change how these contracts are done absolutely because my understanding is the deferred payments no longer count against the salary cap and, and not that they have the cap right. but they have a hard ceiling and if you exceed that ceiling you know three four years in a row then you start paying the penalty on the payroll excess tax but it's all deferred, so it doesn't count. So in essence, as far as the luxury tax goes for the Dodgers, they're paying him $2 million a year, if I'm understanding this correctly. And if that's the case, the small market team's got to be screaming, oh, okay, now the rich teams can go and sign all the top free agents, which is their complaint in the first place, and they just defer it till after their playing days. We'll pay them at that time. It doesn't count count it towards the luxury tax and they're able to sign these players for cheap which allows them to sign even more so our small market teams have zero chance of signing any top free agents yes we could go out and we could go the same route but there's a reason we're a small market team the the Oakland A's can't afford to be putting up $700 million <laughs> contracts to players and defer it out I think this changes the landscape drastically for how free agents. And if I'm a player, I'm looking at this now, like, like Otani, I'm getting the marketing dollars. So that's still paying me my salary. But when my playing days are over, I'm no longer getting that salary. 
which means I probably, unless I'm Michael Jordan or Kobe or someone like that, I'm really not getting the marketing dollars from these companies either. So it allows him to keep in that, you know, this will be, you know, you're talking 68 million a year for 10 years after he stops playing. That's insane. Well, and it, the, now the, the, a good side to it from the player standpoint uh, would be, you know, so many of these guys when they're young and they get all this money, they blow it. Uh, it's more common in the NFL. Uh, where they have a shorter shelf life, a uh, you know, a shorter uh, playing span. Uh, but that's a, that's a good thing if they're only getting quote quote only a couple million dollars a year, and which they can still blow. But they know that they've got this nest egg uh, coming to them down the road. And, and isn't the the your your take on the small versus big market teams and the salary cap? Isn't this just the same thing as what the NFL allows with like signing bonuses and other things that don't actually ding those teams for the caps it's there's always a workaround but but the signing bonuses do ding those teams for it they they and i don't know exactly how it works but i believe if you get a 20 million dollar signing bonus you're there for four years you're gonna of the contract you're gonna be ding five million per year through it even if you release him on a non-guaranteed contract because you gave out the signing bonus you're still on the hook for that signing bonus I think this is a wonderful deal for the players. And if I'm a player, you know, this is something I saw. And I think it was Al Herbosky was the first player who went to a deferred contract like this when he was a free agent in like the late seventies, the early eighties. Yeah, that's an old name. And he even, he even wrote it into his contract that if he died, he's able to will that money to someone else so that someone else is still collecting it in his family. So I've believed this is always the way to go. And I'm glad to see it happen. I just I was stunned to see the collective bargaining agreed to this from the play, well from the owner's standpoint. That I get it from the player's standpoint that you're going to permit this and it's not going to count against the luxury tax. Why wouldn't you? If you have the money now, one you can overpay. Players got to love it because now I'm willing to take this to 700 million that I never would have if everything counted. So the players are going to potentially get their money but again if you're if you're in a kansas city you're in cleveland you're in one of these you know oakland although you got to hope that las vegas isn't considered a small market team and they can support it but if you're looking at these teams how do you compete now with those deep pockets of the mets the yankees the dodgers and the red sox and the cubs that now can defer everything so that whole luxury tax to me just went away, which was the big thing they were dealing with, you know, in the negotiations. There's, there's going to be an explosion of these, I think, especially with the, with the big players. Now on, on, in your world, Steve, there was a fun storyline on Friday of, of last week. Cause there were, that's when all the rumors were correct that Otani was on a private jet headed to Toronto uh, to talk about joining the blue Jays at the time, the blue Jays uh, were uh, 15 to one to win the world series in uh, 2024. However, the bets started pouring in on the Blue Jays at BetMGM Sportsbooks. 85% of the money wagered on the World Series odds on Friday was on Toronto. Uh, the ticker at Caesars Sportsbook filled up with wagers on the Blue Jays ranging from $50 to $500. Soaring uh, all of the betting on the Blue Jays. And then the very next day, Otani announced that he was signing with the Dodgers, uh, making the motivation uh, of the surge of bets on the Blue Jays uh, completely uh, invalid. <laughs> This is this is where you get into the integrity of it. And what I had heard a little while after that story broke, 
is the person who was actually on the plane was a guy from Shark Tank with his yep. family. Yep. And it wasn't Otani at all. <laughs> it's like, hey, let's break this. Let's let's see how we can move the needle in the futures. But this gets into that whole how gambling now has become such a big part of the sports world that, you know, you now start questioning, oh, well, did somebody want the Dodgers? So they leaked the story on the Blue Jays to drive up the price you know, drive down the price on the Blue Jays, drive up the price on the Dodgers because the Dodgers were now out. So then I could backdoor it and go play the Dodgers to win the World Series at a better price, you know, that I would have gotten at the beginning of the day. These are all things that now come out and question, which is why ultimately I believe at the end of the day, the federal government is going to step in and start regulating sports betting and not just leaving it to the states It in order to have a little bit more control over all of this. Yeah, and, and, and so uh, you, the first thing you look at, the first thing I would ask is, does Scott Boros know this Shark Tank guy? Because, because I mean, there's, there's the motivation for, for the league. Because it was already out there that Otani was allegedly talking to the Blue Jays. Now we know he was for sure talking to the San Francisco Giants. And so if you if you leak out, you're absolutely right. If you leak out that Otani's on a plane heading to Toronto, the Dodgers suddenly go, crap, we got we to gotta, we gotta finish this deal. And, and yes, it manipulates the, the, the betting world. Yes, it, it manipulates both. It and you know that goes out there. I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers called up and said, you know, hey, look, let's sweeten it a little bit. And that's where they got to the seven hundred million <laughs> that Toronto was offering. Hey, hey, you know what? We're not going to lose them over, you know, fifty million or whatever it is. Yep, we'll pony up the seven hundred. You got yourself a deal. You know, just uh, bring them in, and that's so. And think of this, the scenario now with with the with what the Giants have confirmed. They say they made three offers. Well, did those three offers happen on Thursday of last week, and then on Friday when Boros calls up after the Dodgers have called, uh, and, and this alleged plane is going to Toronto, which it does have not, has nothing to do with uh, Shohei, and the Giants go, okay, okay, we'll match that offer, and then he calls the Dodgers again, and then and then the Giants again, and then he calls Shohei and says, okay, do you want to play in San Francisco or do you want to play in LA? Because they're both they're both playing ball, and Shohei says, keep me in Southern California and maybe they weren't even maybe it started at 500 million who knows back to your original question of what of what Boros was asking there's another way that could have gotten that high I, I, absolutely I think you're correct and and I can't fault Boros and and we're speculating as you know but the agent's job is to get the most money they possibly can for the player because at the end of the day the agent's taking a cut of that salary so if he's getting 10%, he just went from 50 million to 70 million. Believe me, I'll leak a story too if I can make an extra 20 million and get him signed if that's what it takes. So that integrity part, as we know, always goes out the door when it comes to agents and lawyers. But it's something the, you know, Major League Baseball's got to look at because it does now influence the gambling world, which you know, 10 years ago was not a factor. By the way, uh, back to the question of uh, how this affects the Dodgers' payroll. Uh, ESPN reports that Otani's cost towards the Dodgers' competitive balance tax payroll typically uses the average annual value of contracts, which would be $7 million, but discounts deferred money. So it's going to be $46 million, uh, each year on the Dodgers' luxury tax. So they're, ge they're getting a, thir a $34 million, $24 million uh, break. Uh, okay. according to the ESPN reporting. But it still, it doesn't take away your point because that's a lot of money too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It, it's, a, it's a lot of money. And it sets, I mean, obviously it's generational wealth here. His oh. kids, his grandkids. I mean, he's set for life. And, and 
kudos to him. You know, it's a great contract. I love the fact that he went deferred. I just really believe it's going to change the landscaping on how contracts go in the future. Absolutely, and it might start with Juan Soto. He's the one you've been watching the entire time, and on a Zoom call where he greeted the media yesterday as a Yankee, wearing his Yankee hat for the first time, he did not commit to signing a contract extension. He said, hey, they know who to call and when to call. And as you've pointed out many times, he turned down a 15-year, $440 million offer from the Nationals in 2022 I don't know that all eyes on Juan Soto after this Otani thing. It will They will eventually. There's still some other big names out there in the free agent market. We're going to start to see the results of this very quickly. And Juan Soto and his agent just had to be ecstatic over that contract Otani <laughs> signed because he turned down $440 million. So you got to figure he was looking at least $500 million. And now he's learned another way that, hey, one, I cannot take all the money from the team, but I can take it over in deferred payments going forward so I can really move it. If I'm him, I'm looking 600 million now because I'm 25 years old. I'm one of the elite players in the game. I'm only 25. Let's shoot for 600 million and let's take, you know, 400 million in deferred payments there too. And, and, and then you, the, he and his agent get to have that conversation of, Hey, it's a contract year. Do you want to go out and pull an Aaron Judd here? Uh, Aaron, and Aaron Judge here, and, and and let's see if we can drive that number up even more. Oh, by the way, they just signed Snell for three hundred million. I, I mean, this could this could be nuts a, a year from now. Absolutely. Uh, now we got an email here, rad at uh, radradio.com. You can email during the show anytime. Uh, this one is from Robert. Uh, he says, uh, "I know you guys have said this basketball midseason tournament was stupid. I don't know if we said stupid. I probably said stupid, uh, and it was." Says Robert. But who else would the NBA want to win it other than James and the Lakers? Yeah, of course. It, the, the, I'm sure the NBA is is very happy with the result. In fact, the, all reports are that the NBA is thrilled with the way that the in season tournament went. The question I think for a lot of us still is. How, how are we going to change it? Are we going to tweak it? Are we going to make it better kind kind of thing? Um, and, and and there are some ideas out there. Throwing, I know we were already throwing around ideas last time we talked about this, Steve. Um, they did get great ratings during those games. All the star players were playing. None of this load management because they were all playing for half a million dollars each, which even when you're a multimillionaire, that money matters. The thing that we kept questioning was why do the fans care? Other than, oh, and, and the Blakers are going to hang the banner. I we, you didn't okay you won the nba cup i i, I whatever so so first of all let's do that now that it's over do you still have a bad taste in your mouth over the, the tournament uh you know as, as a whole i don't think you ever had as bad a taste as i did but where are you now no not not as bad i, I for me the tournament had to get full buy-in by the players and the fans i i felt watching those games that the players actually had bought in i thought as we got down to the you know, the last game of the elimination games and then into the quarterfinals, semis and finals that the teams actually brought like a playoff type atmosphere to it. You, you watched it. They were playing hard. You saw the Kings go. I love the fact that we saw Halliburton go off for the Pacers and elevate himself as into, you know, one of the elite players in the NBA. At least now you can look at him and mention him, not saying he is an elite player, but you know, he elevated his game. The nation got to watch it. But you have to keep the the players motivated. One of the things that, that to me was, you know, the Pelicans got into the semifinals. They ended up losing to the Lakers. But 
to me, it really looked like the Pelicans quit. And that's that you got to have the player buy-in. It was like, hey, look, we got to Vegas. We're getting X amount of guaranteed money. Let's have some fun in Vegas. We got a couple of days <laughs> off. And, you know, they got blown out like 133 to 89, something like that. I mean, by like, you know, 40-plus points. That's the downside to these. Because if you're playing it like a playoffs, which is the atmosphere they're trying to create, you got to have that full buy-in by the teams and the players. And, and I also found it interesting, and I know it's LeBron and all that, but, you know, I heard a lot of chatter of LeBron really wanted this, the first cup to add to mm -hmm. his resume yep. and everything. So uh, from the fans' perspective, and it, it was like, well, everyone knows the tournament was for LeBron in the first place and that he was going to end up winning it and the Lakers were going to end up winning. And, and I'm not saying the games were fixed or anything like that, but it just – it played into that LeBron uh, style with that here. Let's get LeBron another trophy and, you know, kudos to the Lakers. They want, they want it. And, uh, but I, I still struggle with it to me. The NBA really wants the interest because early in the season, they're competing with the NFL and they don't have the interest started up Christmas day, started off Christmas day with your five marquee games. You rolled to the end of July so you're not competing with the NFL. You're competing with baseball. And I believe the NBA would own baseball in May, June, and July. So to me, if you're struggling with that viewership and interest, just move it. Because now instead of three months of not nobody care, well, I should say two months of nobody caring, you're two months where you own the market because so many more people would be interested in the NBA over baseball in the summertime. So to me, that's the move you make, not this in-season tournament. So they are looking at making some changes. Now, you mentioned the Lakers won it. They, I mean, they dominated it. They won all seven games of the in-season tournament by more than 19 points per contest, but the rewards are limited to the players and coaches earning the cash prizes for the accomplishment. So the biggest topic over the past several weeks has been – there should be some sort of incentive given to teams for winning the tournament, and they, they're talking about for next season. So they're saying, look, we're doing the tournament. We're not doing Steve's idea of pushing our schedule back. Uh, and But the overwhelming, according to multiple sources, uh, sentiment is they don't believe giving an automatic playoff berth to a team would be logical, which you and I dismiss that as for the same reason. How, how do you just give in, in November or December a playoff berth to a team that might finish many games under five hundred? because they won this stupid little tournament. So good news there. They're not even talking about that. One idea that has more support is guaranteeing the winner of the tournament at least the seventh spot, meaning they would get the two home games to earn their way into the playoffs. I still kind of go, well, what if they won 24 games over the whole season? But do you like that one any better? Yeah, what if the Pistons, and I mean, they've lost 20 in a row, but what Jesus. if the Pistons got hot right now, were healthy, and ended up making it, and this team goes on to win like, 18 20 games during the regular season but you know what they're automatically in the playoffs and then where does that put it for the draft so right. the pistons are in the draft lottery hey look we're guaranteed in the playoffs but let's also now guarantee we're in the lottery or do you lose that lottery right because you made the playoffs even though you may have one of the three worst records in the nba so i think there's a lot of things like that that play into it i just don't believe an early season tournament anyone should be guaranteed a spot in the playoffs regardless of how they do the rest of the season to me i would put that to pro football okay well if you go four and oh in the preseason <laughs> then you're going to be guaranteed into the playoffs and i know it sounds crazy but you're going to be guaranteed into the playoffs and what you do during the rest of the regular season 
really doesn't matter because you're already a playoff team. So you just need to watch your, you know, your workload, make sure you're healthy at the end of the season because you're already guaranteed a spot. Where's the incentive for that team to keep playing? Well, and and you know what? Even even push it into the regular season. Imagine if it was uh, if you if you start the season four and zero, oh, that you're guaranteed a, a, a playoff. Look at this season. Look at how many teams we had in the playoffs after the first four weeks, and how many teams we had buried after the first four weeks. And the whole the whole landscape has has changed. So you can't. I I don't think you can screw with the playoffs. The other thing that I hear they're talking about a lot, and there's so many questions about it, is is a proposal that there would be a draft related incentive they don't know exactly what that would look like but you win the in-season tournament and you get something in the draft uh, okay so now i'm the best team in the nba i win the in-season tournament and oh by the way i get entry into the lottery so i could have a top 10 pick when i'm already the boston celtics or the denver nuggets and i mean if you're trying to compete you're the sacramento kings going whoa hold it a second we're trying to catch the Nuggets. We're almost as good as them. We think we can advance, you know, deep into the playoffs. But now the Nuggets automatically get a top 10 pick and they win the NBA title. I'm not saying they will this year, but you see what I'm saying? They mm -hmm. win the NBA title. They get a top 10 pick, which just makes their team even better going forward. Th to me, that's demoralizing if, if you're playing on any of these other teams going they're already a little bit better than us, and you're giving them a gift better player because they draft before us. That's the whole reason the lottery is the, the draft is the way it is. So the best teams pick last. I like that they're talking about changes. I like that they're coming up with an incentive. They've got a lot more work to do. I, I'm just glad that they're going in the right direction if they're going to keep the, the in-season tournament. Let's jump to a college football, Steve. We were just talking about this last time. Yet another uh, quarterback is not going to be playing in his bowl game. Uh, North Carolina quarterback Drake May. One of the top NFL prospects will not play in the Mayo Bowl against West Virginia. He's foregoing the remainder of his eligibility and uh, declaring for the NFL draft. You already were pretty high on Drake May. Yeah, I believe he's going to go number two in the draft. I think Caleb Williams will go one. I think Drake May goes number two. The Patriots were in that spot. I think Drake May would be a great fit for the Patriots. Uh, again, we don't know if Belichick's going to be back, and there's stories now that Belichick's already been informed that he's going to be <laughs> fired at the end of the year, which will be very interesting because I just don't see how Kraft, after everything Belichick has done, can actually fire Belichick. He could force him out and, hey, look, I'm going to step away. I just the word fired next to Belichick, I just struggle with, a and I think it hits on other parts because. I think players now are going to evaluate where they think they're going to go in the draft and who might select them. And with the NIL deals that we keep talking about, hey, I can make three, four million dollars staying in college football because I don't want to go play for the Arizona Cardinals. I think starts becoming a factor now with these players declaring for the draft because in the past, we got to get to the NBA. We got to get to the NFL as fast as we can because that's when we can start making money. But if I can make three, four million bucks to play my senior year and know I'm not going to, you know, and you think of Eli Manning and the Chargers, look, I'm not going to the Chargers. Well, I'll just stay in college football. I'll make three or four million. I can play my other next year in college football. No, I made the money. So if I get hurt, I still have money, you know, coming out of college if it's career threatening, but if not, I'll still be the number one next year because 
in a sense, it allows them to pick their teams again, good for the players, but I, I think you're going to start seeing some manipulation there because, Oh, I don't like my spot, but I can still make 3 million returning to college football. And all that of, was never there before. All of that is, is part is behind this, this big rumor about Marvin Harrison jr. Uh, and whether his motivation is, I don't want to play for a crappy team or whether his motivation is just money. Uh, the Ohio state junior wide receiver, uh, has publicly said he's undecided and he's contemplating a potential return to Columbus. And that got the rumors mills swirling that Ohio State has offered or talked about with Marvin Harrison Jr. up to a $20 million payday in NIL deals. So that's name, image, likeness. Uh, others are saying that is completely inaccurate. It's way, way out there. But even if it's half that, Steve, I mean, that let's take, let's take Marvin Harrison Jr., looking at the draft board out of it for a minute. Let's say you just wave $10 million at a college kid to play one more year and go into the draft next year. Oh, yeah, he's he's risking injury, but other than that, he's getting $10 million. That's a That's a big carrot to wave. And it's still the college life. <laughs> I mean, you sit and you look at it, and I, I can stay in college. I'm the big man on campus. Not a whole lot of pressure. I know I'm going to the NFL the next year anyway. I'm going to be a top-five pick. I'm making $10 million if that's what it turns out to be and able to continue to enjoy it. You're not going to make that $10 million your first year in the NFL with, you know, the, the caps on the amount that rookies can sign for now, you know, the, the Bradford deals of the past where they could just unload and sign you for any amount are gone. So they dictate really how much you can get paid based on your draft slot you know, which then changes that part too. Cause why not? If I can get paid more money to play college ball, why am I coming out? I can still go to the NFL the next year, take the money, enjoy another year in college and have some fun. You're only young once. And, uh, you know, I think if you ask a lot of these NFL players, they'd rather stay one more year in college. If they knew they could make that kind of money that senior year, then go to the NFL and find out you were drafted by the Browns or the Lions or the, <laughs> you know, the Cardinals. I mean, th that's not a lot of fun. Um, you alluded to the Bill Belichick rumors, which we've been pumping up the, that question uh, since the start of the show. Uh, and, and now NBC Sports is the next major outlet that, that they've not only reported on it, they say they specifically know that back on November 12th when the Colts lost in Germany, I'm sorry, when the Patriots lost to the Colts in Germany, that was when the decision it was made that Belichick will not return uh, regardless of how the rest of the season plays out. Now, they don't tell us, has Robert Kraft had a con had the conversation with Belichick? I mean, it's out there now. I mean, he was asked about it yesterday in his press conference, and of course, Belichick did his Belichick thing. I'm looking forward to the next game. Um, it, it, but the way NBC says it is basically he's gone. We just don't know exactly how. The, the Patriots are 3-10 and 10 headed into this weekend. My question, Steve, but you, you've already alluded to does Belichick have the, the – I'm sorry, does, does Kraft have the cojones to actually axe Belichick? Uh, apparently, though, they also there's still a year on Belichick's contract. Would they talk about is there a trade in there somewhere? My question first, though, who do the Patriots hire that's better than Belichick? He's one of the best of all time, isn't he? Or or is this that Brady-Belichick thing again? I still think Belichick is one of the best of all time. I, I really do, and I know everybody tries to tie him to Tom Brady, and I thought the two fit perfectly together and accomplished what they needed to do. But I really don't believe Brady would have been as successful in the NFL without Belichick. 
And yes, he won the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay, but look at the player and the quarterback he became. You got to roll it back to a sixth round draft pick rolling out of Michigan that was never a starter really in Michigan. He was a backup to Drew Henson at Michigan. So it's not like he started four years of his college it there. He doesn't land with Belichick. Does another head coach really ever even give him that opportunity that Belichick saw to allow him to develop into the player that he was? So I just think Belichick has earned it, even if it was all Tom Brady. Prior to Belichick, the Patriots were nothing. They were a laughingstock NFL team. People don't realize that because they're not old enough. <laughs> they were down with the Lions and the, and the Browns and and the Colts and outside of Peyton Manning's era, these teams that really weren't very good throughout their history, the Patriots became a household name as they went to the playoffs like 20 straight years. He changed that. Belichick, to me, has earned the right to walk away from the Patriots on his own terms. Now, if I'm Kraft, first thing I would do is say, look, I'm taking away GM duties. I I just, you need to focus. The game has changed. You need to be the head coach. You're no longer going to be in charge of player personnel and all of these other things, at which point I could see Belichick saying, look, if I can't have total control of the team, then I'm going to walk away. But then that's Belichick walking away, not Kraft firing him. And, and I just think Belichick has earned that right to leave the Patriots on his terms when he feels it's the right time. And if he does go for whatever reason under any scenario, does Belichick coach again? Does he, because he's pushing 70 or maybe he's over it. I forget, or, or does he say, okay, fine enough. Is He seems like such a competitor. I don't know if he can walk away. I, I don't know if he can walk away either. I, I heard somebody talking. It'd be awesome. And, and we, we listened to Belichick and his interviews with we're on to Kansas city. We're on to Kansas city. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't say a whole lot. He's very blah. But when you talk to other people, he's a huge NFL historian. He really obviously knows the game. And they say he has a, a very funny, dry yeah. sense of humor <laughs> that I've heard some people talk about. It would be awesome to see him in the booth as a commentary guy, just to, so people can actually learn who he really is, not just the dry we're on to Kansas city that we see from those press conferences. And again, where I get to Belichick's defense, how many players have left the Patriots organization? I mean, hundreds and hundreds of players have left that organization and you see players all the time. Once they leave, burn that organization, this coach, this, 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 and as much as the press and, and the fans and that, Oh, Belichick, this Belichick, that, you never hear a player, you know, even when they're benched and they should be starting in the Super Bowl and is let go by the team, you never see the player come back and say, Belichick was awful. This is what it was and on and on. You only see it from the media. And if he was that horrible as a person, as a head coach, wouldn't you see someone somewhere like spill some dirt on him? Oh, he did this or he did that. And he, you know, abused this player. You'd see something and you never do, which I know you call it the Patriot way, but that's astonishing. And I find it hard to believe that he doesn't have the player's respect if when they leave, they still respect him enough 
to not say anything. Well, you know, it's, and it's almost it's even the opposite of that. In in most cases, the 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 former players that are on TV on a regular basis that were with the Patriots long enough, they go out of their way to praise Belichick and and how amazing he is. And I still like I still like the story of Belichick leaves the Patriots under whatever condition it is. And he becomes the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders with Tom Brady having partial ownership. And the story comes full circle. I think that would be, and I think Vegas would be an amazing place for Belichick to coach. Yeah, we talked about that like four mm-hmm. weeks ago. That would be awesome because it would squash those yep. rift rumors between Brady and Belichick. Here it is. I would love to see Belichick come coach the Raiders. I, I Man, I would tell you, I think the Raiders might become 1B for me if... <laughs> They got Belichick (laughs) as the head coach just because I would love to see him succeed in Las Vegas. And I think it would be a great fit and he'd bring some stability to that organization. So I'm all on board that that's one of those I would love to see happen. I don't think it's going to, but I would love to see it happen both for the Brady Belichick thing and the stability I believe he would bring to the Raiders. Uh, another thing that a lot of people in the sports world are talking about today, uh, and I'm biased on this because I think he's probably the best of all time. I would have to think about that. He's certainly one of the top three. Uh, it's been confirmed now that Al Michaels will not be part of the playoff coverage this year. He left NBC. He joined Amazon's uh, Prime Video to serve as play-by-play for Thursday Night Football. But the arrangement allowed for Michaels to come back and do one of the NBC playoff games like they did last year. He and uh, head coach Tony Dungy, and they got rolled last year for uh, not not being exciting enough, uh, their, their lack of excitement. And then this year, people have been doing that to Al Michaels, which, I mean, I, I, I heard it because I always thought it was legitimate, where he's like, I can't believe this game we have, or I can't believe this game that I have to promote for next week. And I don't know what the backstory is, but I'm going to miss Al Michaels in the, in the postseason, even though it was only going to be one game. Uh, so am I. I think Al Michaels, one of the greatest announcers we've ever seen. You know, I put him up there and, you know, the, the Vin Scully's of the world, the Al Michaels. Uh, I loved John Madden and how he would get be, get going in the booth. Uh, Al Michaels is, is one of the greatest of all time. So he will be greatly missed. Um, so the, at this point, what, four days removed, everybody knows about the offsides call in the Chiefs game and Patrick Mahomes blowing up on the sidelines, uh, which he's, he's apologized for yesterday. He's, he, he, I don't have it in front of me, but he basically said, you can't, you can't act like that. It's a bad look. Okay, fine. I, oh, here it is. I do have it. Obviously, you don't want to react that way. You can't do that. Can't be that way towards officials or really anybody in life, Mahomes said. And he added, more than anything, I regret the way I acted towards Josh Allen after the game. He had nothing to do with it because he, he was still bitching about the call. That Fine. I mean, fine. It, it, to me, that wasn't the story. Uh, we'll, we'll give Mahomes a, a mulligan, or I will anyways. The big thing was what you focused on in, is is Kadarius Toney. And the fact that this guy, he he, he, he has done this before. He did it back in, in uh, week one when they lost to, uh, to your Lions uh, when he deflected an easily catchable ball. Uh, that Mahomes uh, was was throwing. But Reed comes out and says, we love this guy. He said, quote, I think he's getting better every week. Because I think you went as far as texting me, or maybe you said it on the Monday uh, Rad Radio Show, cut him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's cost him two games. I mean, they're sitting at eight and five. By rights, he should be sitting at 10 and three right now. He's And it's very seldom do you see a player outside of a quarterback or something that actually has that much effect on two different games that they he single-handedly could have cost them two games. You know, Kadarius Tony was a problem in with the Giants. The Giants let him go and moved on. 
I, I he might be really talented. He just man, bad decisions at bad times that that put a team in a bad situation. I, to me, those aren't the guys you keep hanging on that roster. You just look, it's not going to happen. You see it with coach killing quarterbacks. Sometimes, look, I know he has a high draft pick, but he doesn't fit here. And you got to just move on and, and let it go. You know, and I'm not saying Trey Lance was a was a coach killer, but the 49ers were smart enough to realize, look, we gave up a ton for him, but we're not going to continue investing in him if we see no future for him with this franchise. So let's just move on, put our team in a good situation, because at a certain point, you got to believe players are going to start resenting him on the team. Hey, look, he cost us this game and he's still – you know, where's that accountability? And and for Tony, when he does these things, to me, just doesn't seem to have that accountability. And, and I couldn't be a head coach. I couldn't be a GM because <laughs> I react to these things. Look, let him go. But uh, well, and, and, I, and I think he should be let go. You, you, even more so, and back to the like the players being resentful, I texted you that aerial shot, which we had not seen uh, when we started talking about this call on Monday. He was so egregiously past the line. There, there, this whole argument of, oh, they usually break, give you a break. That is unacceptable. And somebody in that locker room, I assume, pulled him aside and went, dude, this isn't just pushing the limit. You know, the part that I find interesting, and I'd love to hear it, but we'll never find out the truth, is from uh, another video or pictures I've seen, he was off sides like that, like on four plays. So they didn't call it the first three. I'm the opposing head coach. I'm in the ref's ear. Yeah. Hey, look, you need to take a look at this. This guy's lining up every time off sides. You need to take a look. And maybe, you know, the the Bills coach McDermott or somebody on that sideline was in the ref's ear going, look, how can you continue to allow this to happen? You have to call it. And finally, they just said, you know what? We got to make the call now. And they did. And it turned out that way. But Tony's played football his whole life. We all know you can't be offside. You can't line up in front of the football. How can he do it time and time again? And he's on the line. It's not like he can't look <laughs> down the line yeah. and see where the football's at and then look down at my foot to see, hey, the nose of the football's on the 30-yard line. My foot's on the 30-and-a-half-yard line, almost to the 31. It, you know, he's got to have accountability. And to me, those are mistakes in NFL players – should never make those are mistakes that I wouldn't allow my pop Warner player to make. That's where you learn it. He needs to learn how to play the game. Right. So I, I don't have a problem with the call. Uh, I know that Mahomes did and I give Mahomes a pass. He he's a competitor. He is caught up in the moment. I don't feel it was right. Why would you go bitch to the opposing team's quarterback? Like Josh Allen's going to say, Hey, you know what? <laughs> yeah. You should have beat us. He's going to say, heck no, man, we beat you. It's your job to make the plays. You didn't do it. Don't be playing, you know, blaming the refs for that one call. He was cheating in the first place. Speaking of Al Michaels, uh, not having a lot of enthusiasm, boy, does he have a forker tomorrow night? The only thing he might've been hanging his hat on is now gone because Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert, who I know you love, I'm not laughing at him getting uh, injured. It's just the, the the curse of Thursday night football. He's undergone surgery for his right index finger. He won't be playing for the rest of the season. And instead, the Chargers will play the Raiders, who lost three to nothing this weekend. And Easton Stick will be starting for the Chargers. Can you give me any reason to watch this game tomorrow, Steve? Well, you know, the Raiders are a three-point favorite here. Uh, you know, they, they suffered that loss 
last week to the Broncos. Once Herbert went out, it was over. Chargers have lost four of their last five. To me, they're just playing out the rest of the season. Not a whole lot to play for here. Easton Stick, though, does know the Chargers offense. He was a, I want to say, a fifth-round draft pick in 2019 by the Chargers. So he's been with the team for a while. So you like to believe he knows the playbook and he's not going to be coming in off the streets like a Joshua Dobbs who just got traded to the Vikings. But to me, the Raiders, even though they've lost three straight, the Raiders last week was an ugly game. But the Raiders still, to me, I believe are fighting for their season. They would love to close out on a winning note, you know, win three of the next four games to get close to 500. But I do think it's Aiden O'Connell's last start here. If he doesn't perform, I think he knows it. He's got to go out and play, try to prove he can play in the, in the NFL, because if he goes out and puts up another stinker, like he did last week against the Vikings, I think they're moving back to Jimmy G at quarterback just to finish up the season. So I think you got a motivated quarterback in Aiden O'Connell, but injuries are going to be a big factor. Keenan Allen for the chargers is questionable right now. Josh Jacobs, uh, Max Crosby have not pl- practiced this week. Now Crosby didn't practice last week and Jacobs had some injury concerns. They both still played, uh, but we know they're not at a hundred percent. I still think they'll go Thursday, but it's a short week. And you, you know, when you got those injuries, but I just think the Raiders are far more motivated to play well in this game. I think the chargers now are just going to go through the steps. So with us being off next week, Steve, things are going to be so different uh, the next time we're here on the December 27th, but the, the playoff picture in the NFL is wild uh, as the whole season has been wild of the 32 themes teams, 24 of them have viable ways to get those 14. I don't mean mathematically. I mean like vi- because so many of them are within one game of each other. And so I was I, I was inspired by an email we got from uh, from Robert, uh, RAD at radradio.com, to kind of do this in a way of, all right, of the teams that have a pathway, which ones really do have a, have a pathway? And he wrote in and he said, I'm a Rams fan, and after watching Sunday's game, I have hopes for the playoffs. What are your guys' thoughts for their chances to get in? The Rams are one game out right now. They're the number eight seed in the conference. They've got to play the Commanders at home in L.A. They've got to host the Saints. They've got to go to New York and play the Giants. And they've got to finish at San Francisco, a game that presumably we think the Niners are we, – we don't know. It depends on how the Eagles and the Cowboys are playing. The, the Niners might need to play their starters. They might rest them. But the pathway for the Rams in the NFC, how do you see their chances? Uh, I can easily see the Rams going three and one. I still believe that them or the Seahawks and right now the Rams are tied with the Seahawks at six and seven. I still think one of those two teams is going to be a wild card team. I I can't see a wild card team coming out of the NFC South. I I think the winner there, you you know, you're looking at eight and nine to win that division. And and I think you got to get to nine wins, but the Rams go, three and one they get to nine and eight and and i really think they can be there i'm not so the vikings are going to go anywhere they're starting nick mullen this weekend (laughs) you know so i I like the rams i I like the wide receivers aaron donald is having another big season even though we don't talk about the rams a whole lot and they they've brought some youth to that defense uh that i think is playing really well so i i can see the rams going three and one 
I don't think the Niners are resting the last week. I think the Niners are going to play everybody because they're going to need to win that game for the number one seed. So I don't see them getting a pass with the Niners, but you know, they could easily beat the commanders, the saints and the giants in the next three weeks. So the Niners are the loss there, which brings us to the Niners who are the number one seed. Uh, they play at Arizona this weekend. They, the big one for them is Christmas day where they host the Baltimore Ravens. Then they go to the Washington Commanders. Then they host the Rams. To me, that seems like a guaranteed three-win, four-game four set. The Ravens game is the is the questionable one. And 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 as we wind through this, that what the Eagles do and what the Cowboys do will will figure out how important these games are to the Niners in terms of securing that that number one seed. I'm not sure about that Christmas Day game. I do think the Niners are a superior team. I do. I think they're going to go four and zero. But but and I hope. And I think the motivation to get that number one seed, the fact that it is not guaranteed until that final week, is going to keep them from any trap games or looking past these opponents. And I know you've been on the Niners train the whole time. You have them winning the Super Bowl from day one. I assume you haven't wavered on that. No, not at all. And and Christmas Day, I think it's a tough spot for the Ravens. Christmas Day, they're traveling to the West Coast. And I know, hey, the players and their family, they can celebrate Christmas Day you know, on Tuesday when they get back home, I, I get all of that, but I do believe that plays a factor. It's a non-conference game, and the 49ers' defense is so good. To me, to beat the Ravens, you need to take away the running game. I believe the Niners can absolutely do that. You have to contain Lamar Jackson. I absolutely believe they can do that, and you have to get up early. And I don't – Lamar Jackson to me is not – an elite quarterback because when he's down 10, nothing, 14, nothing, you know, 10 points, 14 points. I just don't see him as a quarterback. Who's going to lead the team back throwing the ball and, you know, making the big plays that you need to through the passing game to make it happen. And I don't see him doing it against the 49ers. So I just think it's a bad spot for the Ravens. I think the 49ers, you know, finished this season with what is it? A nine game winning streak. And, uh, I think they just continue rolling through the playoffs. So you you have the Niners as the number one seed, I presume. Absolutely. I believe the 49ers are going to be the number one seed. So the 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 Cowboys have a tough schedule on paper if it was like week nine or, or eight. I mean, all these, these outcomes of these games have been so wild that I don't even know how much stock I put in it when I looked at they are, they're, that they are at the Bills this weekend. They are at Miami next weekend. They have to play your Lions in – Dallas, and then they end with the Commanders, and that one shouldn't matter, but the way this season is going, who, who knows if it will. But the Cowboys, they are on a roll. Everybody now is saying what you were saying a week ago. Dak Prescott's the actual MVP. Um, and, and so where do you – the Cowboys have been knocked out of the of the playoffs the last two seasons by the, the Niners. They got drubbed by the Niners earlier this year. How do you see them finishing out the year after you spent uh, most of the season saying all they do is beat the tomato cans? Well, I think the closing of this season is very important. They're playing really good right now. The impressive win against the Eagles. They do have a Bills game here. The Bills, I believe, are a one-point favorite right now <laughs> over the Cowboys in this game. Dolphins' defense is playing much better. Their defense was weak early on. Lions, at some point, got to start showing some roar again with that defense. But the thing I'd be afraid of mostly if I'm a 49ers fan is – if this Cowboys team goes and runs the table, beats the Bills, Dolphins, Lions, and Commanders, rolling into the playoffs with that Eagles win, I mean, they would have like five wins against playoff-type teams 
in their last six games. And I think that just gives them a lot of motivation playing really good football and a lot of confidence that to me as a 49ers fan, that's the thing I'd be a little bit more worried about. Last thing you need is the Cowboys to have all that confidence that we can be anybody and teams always say they can, but you got to go out and prove it. And if they go and beat the bills in Buffalo, they beat the dolphins in Miami you know, they beat the Lions, even though it's at home and can win those road games. That's a lot of confidence. And and that's the last thing the 49ers need to do is Dallas confident and believing they can now go beat the 49ers. Well, as a Niner fan, I hate that scenario because the other factor, the trifecta of that is is not only they're winning on the road and the confidence they can win, the, 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 the streak of wins, the chip on their shoulder. Because it, it mattered, the history of these teams, you know, Jerry Jones has been around the whole time, and so has the York family, for, for this Niner-Cowboy rivalry that was really strong in the, in, the, in the 80s and 90s, starting with the catch and then running all the way through uh, the, the, the last time the Cowboys won anything in, what, 96. And, and, and the Cowboys hate that the Niners have knocked them out the last two seasons. And the NFC Championship game in, uh, not San Francisco, but Santa Clara, hosting the Cowboys that under your scenario, that's the worst case scenario for me as a, as a 49er fan. No, absolutely. And the fact that the 49ers blew them out 42 to 10, the last time they played for, for me, this weekend's a big key game. If the Cowboys can show they can go on the road after that, a big win over the Eagles go on the road into Buffalo and win in Buffalo. And, And you know, Buffalo at times looks like an elite team in the NFL. There's a lot of times they just aren't that good. But regardless, if they go on the road, beat the Bills in Buffalo, that's an impressive win and is only going to continue to build their confidence that they are one of the elite teams in the NFL. And what about your Detroit Lions? They are up two games, or one game rather, I think, over the Vikings. One or two. Um Either way, they're the number three seed in the conference. This this weekend's game for me, Steve, this might be the Lions' season. They got to play the Broncos, who are red hot. Then they got to go to Minnesota. They got that Cowboy game we we're talking about. Then they got to go to Minnesota again. But for me, Steve, if if I I know you already feel like they're reeling. This 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 Bronco game could be it. Yeah, they're they're in a tough spot here. They really need a strong uh, appearance this weekend and and play well. They've lost two of their last three. They beat the Saints because the Saints went up. You know, they were able to score 21 points in the first six and a half minutes of that game and then hold on from there. They really should be riding, you know, losing three of the last four because they came back with a miracle ending to beat the Bears the first time they played four games ago. This defense just isn't playing well at all. They got a two-game lead on the Vikings right now. So I still believe they should make the playoffs, but – If they go and lose to Denver, they still got, you know, the Vikings twice, which will hopefully help move them into the playoffs. But that team can't have a whole lot of confidence. And and you got to expect they're going to be one and done again if they can't suck it up. So to me, this is a huge game for the Lions to show if they deserved all the hype they've received. Because if they go out and get beat by the Broncos, their season to me is pretty much over. Yeah, I mean, I've got them as you do getting into the playoffs, but uh, a part of that is that they have the Vikings twice. They control their own destiny. The Vikings are, are th- regardless of these wins, they keep falling ass backwards into there. 
I, I think they're going the wrong way too. So I think the Lions get in, but yeah, I don't think you're going to get to see a, another playoff victory uh, this year in in your Lions lifetime. Yeah, which which tough to swallow because when they were sitting at eight and two, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, here we go. This is the best team I've ever seen in my lifetime. <laughs> And now I'm sitting at nine and four going, yeah, this is the same old Lions again. So it's been tough the last few weeks to sit and watch it. But, you know, the beginning of the year, you would have said, Steve, Lions will be nine and four. I'd say, don't even play the games. Give me nine and four. Let's go from there. (laughs) I am 100% happy. So it's hard for me to, you know, get down on the team, but their defense just, they can't get pressure. Their secondary can't cover. And if you can't pressure the quarterback and get to them in enough time, the secondary has no chance to cover these receivers. So because of all the parity of the NFL and and 24 teams having viable routes, it's like almost every game this weekend matters. And over the next two weeks, the same thing. So the Buccaneers lead the NFC South, and uh, they're playing the Packers, who lost to the Giants on Monday night, another stunner. But the Packers still hold the number seven seed in the NFC playoff race. So they have each other. Uh, this weekend and then the Buccaneers have to deal with the Jaguars the Saints and the Panthers while the Packers have to deal with after the Buccaneers the Panthers the Vikings and the Bears of those two I mean let's start with this weekend's game H- how do you see the the Bucks and, and and the Packers for this weekend well on the Bucks Packers right now we are looking at where is that <laughs> uh the Packers are a three-point favorite the the Packers regress back into here we go again. This this is you know Jordan Lovin looked really good. Here's a game for him to just show he's really has taken that next step. And you know Devito ended up outplaying him in that game, and the Giants went on to win. But I still think the Packers are going to get there, not the Vikings. I, I like their schedule. They should beat Tampa Bay here, although I think Tampa Bay is the best team out of that NFC South. I think they're better than the Falcons. I think they're, you know, better than the other teams there. So I like the Bucks possibly to get there. But this this game here is a must win for both. If the Bucs are going to stay atop that NFC South, they really need the win here. But I still lean towards the Packers. Even if they lose this game, I think they'll probably win the last three to end up making the playoffs. Yeah, I'm, I, I, that was an out-of-the-nowhere loss, too, to the Giants because the Packers were looking like they had gotten right. You and I are talking about Jordan Love. Hey, maybe he is a, an NFL quarterback. They lay that egg, and I, I'm still sticking with that version of the Packers. I think the Packers do get into the postseason, especially given their schedule. I, I agree. I, I think they'll get in there. To, to me, it's get to nine wins. That That's the key here. Get me to nine. I should make the playoffs. So let's get to the battle of the birds. The Both of these teams are going the wrong way, although the Seahawks are, are a lot less uh, part of the mix the way they're playing right now. The Eagles are tied for the NFC East lead after Sunday's loss to the Cowboys. Of course, the Cowboys hold uh, the tiebreaker. And, and they're going to play the Seahawks, who are the number nine seed. They have not looked good uh, most of the last many weeks. And and after they they play the Eagles, which I think that's I think that's a loss uh, for for the Seahawks uh, this weekend. They got the Titans, the Steelers, and the Cardinals. The Eagles got to go Giants, Cardinals, Giants. Which that the Eagles have the easy schedule left for, of the NFC Big Three. First of all, Steve, let let's start with: Do the Eagles recover from this Cowboys loss and go into Seattle, still a hard place to win, and take care of the Seahawks? I think they have to right now. You know, Geno Smith's been battling this groin injury. He didn't play last week. Drew Locke played tough start against the 49ers, but it's still Drew Locke. I'm not sold that he is anything but a backup. 
Eagles have to prove something here. I, I like the Eagles. They're only a four-point favorite in this game right now. I, I think the Eagles got to make a statement here, say, look, we really are a good team here. We're not the team that we've watched over the last several weeks, having lost the last two of the Niners and the Cowboys. We feel we are an elite team in the NFC. And the Giants, Cardinals, Giants, I mean, they really need to finish 4-0 here, get some confidence rolling into the playoffs. And I think the Eagles get it done. Uh, and so it, 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 after that, you start to really get into all of these wild scenarios with the Vikings, the Falcons, the Saints. The Giants are technically still in the playoffs after that win. We talked about uh, the Vikings have named Nick Mullins their starter for Saturday's game. Yes, Saturday football is here. Uh, and that's at uh, the Bengals. Of of all because of all of these, Steve, did I hear you correctly? You have the do you in the end, do you have the Bucks winning the South, the NFC South? I, I think the Bucks are the best team. I need a win this weekend, but I would put the Buccaneers as the winner of the NFC South. I would put the Vikings as a wild card game, not the Vikings. I mean the Packers as the wild card team, not the Vikings. Uh, and I really want to say the Rams are going to be that third wild card team. I, I like the Rams. No real expectations going into the season, but I love their wide receiver core. They're starting to get a running game going. Defense is young, but you know, really playing good football along with Aaron Donald. And and I think the Rams are a lot better team than people think. And and you don't see any slippage of, of dramatic proportion to where the Eagles just lose out. The Eagles are getting into the playoffs. It's just a question of whether they're the, the fifth seed or they actually find a way to win that division. Correct. I, I think they're going to win that division. I, I have a hard time because I believe they still own the tiebreaker over the Cowboys. Aren't the Eagles the number two seed right now? No, the Cowboys are. Oh, okay. The Cowboys are the two seed. I, I just they beat I think the Eagles. the Eagles are gonna run the table. They're gonna finish it, you know, 14 and three. They'll win their division. So and my understanding is, and I don't have it in front of me, but I thought I saw this. Right now, the Cowboys are the number two seed because they beat the Eagles. But if they finish with identical records, the Eagles will have a better because of their schedule, will have a better in conference or in division record, and that will put the Eagles back to number two. C correct. Because okay. the Eagles are six and two in conference. The Cowboys are seven and three. And that's probably where I was putting the Eagles there because I do believe the Eagles are going to run the table and they'll finish with only two conference losses to the Cowboys three, which then will, you know, move them into first place in that division and be the number two seed. So, Steve, we've got – there's seven spots for, for each conference, and I've got six for both of us. It, 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 I don't know if I missed one. For you, I've got the Niners, the Lions, the Packers, the Bucks, the Eagles. Oh, I didn't write down the Cowboys for you. There you go. And the Rams. You say the Rams are the other ones, right? I think the Rams are going to find a way to sneak in. Okay. Uh, so let's jump over to the AFC. Uh, we've got uh, the, the, the Ravens are the number one seed. We already talked a little bit about they their part of their challenge is they have to play the uh, – the Niners on Christmas in San Francisco. They and they uh, they have the after they have the Jaguars this weekend, which I don't know what to make of the of the of the Jaguars, Steve. They they I, I always thought they were like a playoff team. As you said, they're good, but they're not elite. I'm wondering how good they even are. The games in Jacksonville, I don't know how much that matters. Then they have the Niners and then the Dolphins and the Steelers. But but do you see any warning signs for the Ravens with Jacksonville? No, not really. They're a three and a half point favorite right right now. I'm not convinced Trevor Lawrence is healthy. I, I yeah. watched him play last week and you and I were texting back and forth. 
kind of asking, you know, what's the point here? Let's give them a little rest. Let them recover. You're still going to most likely win that division, make the playoffs. You need him healthy in January, you know, get him healthy. He went out and played last week. They lost and the high ankle sprain, how much mobility is you really going to have? And part of Lawrence, like with any quarterback, you need that mobility. If there's a sitting duck in that pocket and they can't move and the defensive line can just pin their ears back and just go right at him Cause you know where he's going to be. And I, I still think the Ravens are the best team in the AFC. So I, I see the Ravens getting it done. I know it's a bad spot for the 49er game, but this chiefs team, I can't cut them out because of Patrick Mahomes, but if Mahomes wasn't on this team, I'm saying they're not really all that good. I'm not sold. The Dolphins defense is good enough. The bills are which Josh Allen am I going to get the good Josh Allen? We're great. The bad Josh Allen, he's going to make a lot of bad throws. So you just kind of look at that rest of the AFC and, and I think the Ravens are the best of no elite teams, just good teams with potential. And the, now the Jaguars, they, they're still the number four seed after losing to the, to the Browns. They're only a game up on the Colts. The Texans, the, we don't know what C.J. Stroud's condition is, and they have another major industry, but I, injury. I'm not convinced at this point the Jaguars are going to win that division. I think they have enough talent to get it done yeah. to, to win that division. The Colts, again, when they don't turn the ball over, this Colts team can score. They are also another really underrated team. They're sitting at 7-6. Their problem has been costly turnovers throughout the course of the season. The, the Texans, C.J. Stroud, right now uh, is questionable for the game. Um, so we don't know if he's going to be able to go in that game. The Texans, though, still such a great story. They don't have the talent. So I give the Jags because I think they're a lot better roster than the other teams. They do have a game lead here. To me, I would have given up last week's game and possibly this week's game to get Trevor Lawrence healthy. Again, probably shows why I'm not a head coach in the NFL. But the doctors, you got to believe, know, you know they know more than we do, and they got to feel that it's not going to be something that's going to linger you know, longer term, it's one of those, look, he can play without getting more injured or causing any, you know, he's not at risk to a further, more severe injury. But to me, I want my quarterback healthy, especially if I believe I'm already in the playoffs. Right now, it would be both the Jaguars and the Colts would get in. The Colts are the number seven seed. I like the Colts' schedule. Uh, they've got the Steelers this weekend, which as much as we love Tomlin, I, I'm just, I'm not convinced on the, on the Steelers. Then they're at the Falcons. Then they got the Raiders and the Texans again. It, it, the Texans seem to be going the wrong way, but are still a great story. But to me, the Colts seem like they're getting in the playoffs one way or another. I would like to see it. Uh, the, the the AFC is interesting. I mean, they're all sitting <laughs> at seven six. It seems the whole thing. Denver's playing great football. You know, they go into Detroit, and I mean, they go and beat the Lions this weekend. I mean, I pretty much vault them into the playoffs. I still have a hard time counting the bills out. So I look at them, but uh, you know, a win this week against the Steelers really moves the needle for the Colts and, and probably will get a wild card team unless the wheels fall off. So now the, the dolphins are another strange one. They were, Oh, they were anointed the best team in the AFC uh, weeks ago. Uh, they are currently the number two seed. They've got a tough schedule to finish out. 
the Jets this weekend. I don't know what that was, the, this last game that the Jets played. Uh, but, but after that, they got the Cowboys. They're at the Ravens. They got the Bills. Uh, the Dolphins are they are sitting with that number two seed atop the 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 conference or atop the division, um, and and the the Bills. I mean, the Dolphins are going to get to the playoffs, right? I mean, they're they're not in danger of not making it. They're an eight and a half point favorite, but as you mentioned with the schedule, that to me is where this becomes a must win for the Dolphins. They got to get to ten wins after this weekend in order to pretty much get. They go on and get beat by the Jets. I mean, they might finish with, you know, they're at nine wins now. They might finish, you know, 10 and seven. You'd like to believe they're going to win another game in there. But to me, this is a must win to solidify themselves in the playoffs, knowing that they have the other tough three games to play. You don't want to lose the last three of the regular season, but I think it gives them that wiggle room if they win this weekend the Chiefs is another all of these AFC teams are schizophrenic they're, they all seem like they're not who they're supposed to be the the Dolphins we've alluded to the Bills the, the Chiefs yes they lead the AFC West by one game over the Broncos who are starting to look like maybe they're the elite team in, in the AFC now the Chiefs they get the Patriots this weekend that really should that that would be devastating if they somehow lost to to the Patriots then they got the Raiders the Bengals, the Chargers, it really seems like the Chiefs should be able to get well these last four games. They have to get well. I think they go 4-0 here. We get back to, okay, it is the Chiefs. They're the number two seed in the AFC, and and we we forget about those bumps in the radar this year that they've made some some bad pad penalties at costly times. That This is the stuff that's killed them, and in the past, they'd be in the red zone, and you pretty much – that's an automatic touchdown and they've really struggled in the red zone. So costly penalties, not getting the job done in the red zone, Patrick Mahomes throwing way more interceptions than we're used to, but they're going to finish four. zero. they're going to get healthy and the chiefs will be right back as one of the super bowl favorites. I'm so biased on the Cleveland Browns because they're actually kind of a cool story, but I don't want the Cleveland Browns to make the playoffs. Like I can't, I can't stomach it for, for some reason. They are the number five seed right now and they've got they've got the bears the texans the jets and the bengals to to come um i don't think they're gonna go anywhere if they get into the playoffs but with that schedule it's hard again this afc is so weird where where are you on the browns finishing out i think the browns make it i think we're gonna see a start from joe flacco yeah he's been named for the quarterback they named him for the rest of the season yes he's (laughs) gonna be the starter the rest of the season but like four weeks ago, he's ready to retire. He'd given up pretty much that, hey, look, I'm not going to play in the NFL ever again. Now he's a starting quarterback. He's going to lead the Browns into the playoffs and start in the playoffs. Good, great story for Joe Flacco, yeah, but I, I just, I can't advance the Browns deep in the playoffs. Hey, look, you got there, but their defense has been outstanding the whole year. The, the, their defense is a great defense. I still think they are the best defense in the NFL. If not, they they have to be top two or three and they've been getting it done by the defense. Flacco just doesn't have to don't make the stupid mistakes. He's done an adequate job. He's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. 
to give his team the best shot at winning, and he knows to let the defense get it done. Now, the, the Steelers do play, as I said earlier, they play the Colts uh, this weekend. The Steelers are currently the number six seed. The Colts are number seven seed, although I could easily see the Colts winning that division. What do you see this weekend? And then uh, after this weekend, the, the Steelers have the Bengals. They got to go to Seattle. They got to go to Baltimore. That's tough. Uh, if, I mean, if they don't beat the Colts, I'm not sure that I, I see the Steelers going going anywhere. But what do you see? Yeah, the Steelers have really let me down. The Colts are a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. As you know, before the season started, I said this is one of my dark horse teams that I think is going to be better than people thought. I really thought they should have won the last two games, which have put them at nine wins right now, and we'd be talking about how, oh, could they actually beat the Ravens, and I don't think they can. Kenny Pickett is not a very good quarterback. they got a lot of talent in a lot of other positions, but – I th- I think the Colts beat the Steelers. I think the Steelers are in a tailspin here, and it wouldn't shock me if they win one or zero games the rest of the season. And those last two losses were devastating. But Tomlin's too good of a coach, so I still hope they can get to nine wins and go two and two. But Steeler fans have to be really discouraged after their last two weeks. Well, and the storyline that I want there is is if the Steelers can't make it, I want the Texans who are the number eight seed right now to, to be, to be the ones that sneak in, but they seem like we don't know about CJ Stroud uh, yet for this weekend with the concussion protocol, but they're having other injuries. And I, and the, they, they play the Titans that, that that's helpful this weekend. Um, but it, they, they got to play the Browns and they play the Titans again. They finish out the season in Indianapolis. Is, do you see a pathway for the Texans to sneak in? Give, give me hope, Steve. I would love to see it, but the Titans are a two and a half point favorite here. They are at home in this game. CJ Stroud. Great. I love watching him play. We don't know if he's going to go this wheel this week, but you know, Davis Mills, if, if Stroud doesn't go, will be the quarterback. Mills has a decent amount of starts under his belt. So it's not like he's a full blown backup. Who's never really played. He knows the system. So I'm hoping that he can get the job done for them. I would love to see the Texans make it. I just think this team's running out of gas and some costly injuries right now. Late in the season, just are really going to hamper them. So we mentioned earlier how important the, the the game this weekend is for your Lions. They are running into the Broncos, who are the number nine seed. I think both of us have already put the Broncos in the playoffs. Uh, and the reason I have is because after they deal with the Lions – and I'm just looking forward to that game. I, I don't even I don't know who I think is going to win the Lions Broncos game. I lean towards the Broncos. Um, they then then the Broncos have the Patriots, the Chargers, and the Raiders. I mean that's a that's a gift from the schedulers to me. I think the Broncos at least go three and one and find a way to get into the AFC playoffs. I, I agree with you. I think the Broncos get to the ten wins, make the playoffs. Lions right now are a four point favorite over the Broncos. It is their last really tough game of the season. But Denver's playing great football. I'd love to hear those critics who were on Sean Payton early on the season when the Broncos started just awful, you know, gave up the 70 points to the Dolphins in that game, and people were already talking about how it was a mistake to bring him in. Payton's really not that good. What's he ever really done? And now you see this team, their defense, they brought in a new defensive coordinator. They had the talent, but they brought in a new defensive coordinator with a new scheme. It took them a little while to get you get going and get comfortable with what they were doing. They've figured that out. The Broncos defense is back to a very good defense. And Sean Payton always seems to find a way for the offense to score. Russell Wilson's having a great season. You know, people discounted him last year. He's done. He, he's not the same Wilson that we've known. 
but Wilson's had a great season as well. The Broncos are the team that I think can be that that sneaky good team come playoff team that people discounted early on. Oh yeah. And they still have visions of that early season Broncos team, but this Broncos team, I think can sneak up on anybody right now and could do some damage. So what about there, there's, there's, there's two teams that were supposed to be fantastic at the beginning of the year. And they have been buried multiple times this season and they're still hanging on. And because of what we've been talking about with all the weird closeness in the AFC, the Bengals are the 10th seed. The Bills are the 11th seed. But because of the teams that are ahead of them in the seeding, it is very possible or legitimate for either one of them, depending on how they do, to 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 get into the playoffs, which would be which would have been unthinkable many weeks ago, especially the Bengals when Joe uh, uh, Burrow went down. The Bengals have the Vikings this weekend. Then they're at the Steelers, at the Chiefs, and they've got the Browns. The Bills, they've got it tough. They've got the Cowboys this weekend. They go to L.A. to play the Chargers. They've got the Patriots, okay, not so tough, and they finish in Miami. Do either one of them, do you think, Steve, when we're done, do the Bills or the Bengals or none or both get in? I would love to see the Bengals get there. I just think they're going to fall a game out. I think they're going to just fall short. You know, Jake Browning, to me, is playing great football right now. They're looking at it. He's back up, you know, who's the starter now with the Cincinnati Bengals. But you got to believe he's playing for a possible starting job in the NFL because if he can finish it up and actually lead the Bengals into the playoffs, I don't know what his contract situation is, but you'd like to think that he's got to view himself as a starting quarterback in this league. And if you've watched the Bengals and what he's done with them, it's kind of hard to argue against that. So he, to me, is playing for his future. The Bills, Josh Allen, when he's on, this team can beat anybody. Uh, I think they got some questions at their defense, especially against the run. But I can never count the Bills out. I, I can see the Bills, you know, getting to 10 wins, winning, going three and one in their next four. And we keep trying to throw them out, but I, I can see them getting in there. Again, it's just Josh Allen looks so good, but then he just comes up with that play and you're like, what the heck were you thinking? What's he throwing like interceptions and something like nine straight games or whatever it is? You can't be doing that if you're an elite quarterback. So uh, for the AFC, the AFC East, I've got the Dolphins winning that division. Uh, I've got the Ravens winning the North. I've got the Colts winning the South, but the Jaguars get in with the wild card. I've got the Chiefs hanging on to win the West, although I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Chiefs do something stupid, then the Broncos win it. But the Broncos are getting in as a wild card, and then the Browns will be the other uh, the, the other wild card. Those are my seven. What, how do you have the seven in the AFC? I think I pretty much have the same seven, except I have the Jags winning the division. I think the mm -hmm. Dolphins, Browns, Ravens, Jags, and Chiefs win their division. I think the Broncos are going to get in on a wild card. I think the Cleveland Browns are going to get in because they're going to end up beating the Bengals in that last week of the season to get in. And I'd love to put the Bills there, but I just think the Colts have an easier trip to that. And I think the Bills are looking in from the outside. All right, so uh, I've, I've written all this down so that two weeks from today we can see how we feel uh, because we'll be halfway there about uh, the, the seven teams in each uh, conference that we've got that we've got going. Because it, and what, Let's finish up with this, Steve. I, I, you, we've talked about it a lot. You're absolutely right. This is what the NFL wants. Mm -hmm. Total parity, the fact that almost every game this weekend matters to most teams because as a fan, everybody clings. Until you tell me we're out mathematically and that there's no pathway. They're all, they're all clinging. 
but this weekend in particular, well, I mean, all so many. It's fun, right? I mean, because I hear a lot of old school NFL fans bitching about how unpredictable it is. I don't know if this is the gambling thing because what is it, 32, 38 states are, are, are betting now? And, and, and maybe people are more invested in the, 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 the losses because, oh, the game shouldn't go this way. But I think it's, I think it's great even when I'm wrong. It, it is. I, I think it's great to see you want, this is what the NFL wants. You want these games to matter in December. You don't want a whole bunch of games that don't really matter because people lose interest. To me, though, this just kind of shows how the NFL really is when you sit back and look at it, a big business. We have to keep the fans entertained. We need to make the games matter in December. And every decision they make is about money, ratings, competitiveness to keep the fans and the product entertaining. And I think we see that. And as a fan, it's great to see. We get a little frustrated because it's not the way things should go. But to me, looking, trying to look at it and take a step back, it just shows how much this is a big business and it's always going to be. And we just need to accept that and, and know that that's really what the product is. Uh, by the way, if, uh, if you've been spending your last uh, 90 minutes with us live here on uh, Wednesday, December 13th, uh, the, uh, the breaking news, if you will, uh, is that we already know the Super Bowl is going to be in Vegas uh, for this season. Then it's going to be in uh, New Orleans and then it's going to be in Santa Clara. Uh, in 2026, and they have just announced in 2027 they're back in L.A. at SoFi Stadium. Meh, whatever. I, I don't really get that excited about these Super Bowl venue announcements. No, I don't. The, the ones that, that cause me interest or disinterest is is when they, you know, when they started with that, hey, look, we might play in cold weather cities. And it's that, whoa, hold on a second. You know, we watched the Super Bowl played in the north in a game that never should have been there. Just keep them there. I'm waiting to see Vegas just really put on a awesome Super Bowl. And I would love to see, you know what? Las Vegas is going to be where their Super Bowl is played every year. They have the hotel rooms. They have the entertainment. They have the food. They can house it. And let's just make that the permanent home. It'll never come to be because the other cities want to, you know, get a share of that. But I'm really hoping Vegas puts on such a great show that that, suddenly starts becoming that maybe we need to make that the permanent home and just play it every year in that stadium. I, I think the and I think you agree, the realistic solution or, or scenario is because we've been talking about, how, you know, Vega is the sports mecca now, uh, certainly of the country in the entertainment capital of the world. And I think becoming the sports mecca of the world quickly because they know how to do it. All the things that you mentioned, I think I would be shocked if they didn't do an amazing job with the Super Bowl, especially you, t you, get, you team Vegas up with the NFL. I mean, these are two of the best, and I think Vegas becomes the next New Orleans and Miami. They're always in the rotation. Like, every three years is more, I think, more realistic in today, especially with the way the NFL has embraced sports betting. Absolutely. I would be stunned if Vegas doesn't turn into a every three to four years. It's got to be part of that regular rotation. Where would you rather go, New Orleans or Las Vegas? Las Vegas. I mean, and I've heard your rant about New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> you did that not have a good time. That was pre-Katrina, though. Keep that in mind. True. It was pre-Katrina. That's true. Uh, Steve, uh, have, a, have a great uh, holiday. I, obviously, you and I will talk on uh, on the other show on, on Friday. Uh, and we'll be back two weeks from today. And I believe uh, on that day, we're going to have a, a, a fun little announcement for those of you that are fans of uh, the Mixed Picks podcast. So uh, have a great Christmas, great holiday. I'll talk to you Friday. And we'll be back not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. After that with our next Mixed Picks podcast.
Thank you, and have a wonderful week, and hopefully all the football games are fantastic this weekend. It would be a shock if they weren't, right? After everything we've seen, we suddenly go to a bunch of, of blowout games in one direction or another. That would that would make no sense, but it would make sense for the season, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm hoping it's not the case. I, I no. find it hard to believe. I, I think the NFL is going to find a way to keep them all competitive. And Saturday football is back, which I always love. All right, Steve, we'll talk to you in two weeks, man. Thank you.